University of Virginia Health System, we're for sharing the latest health information from top minds to keep you and your family healthy. With UVA Health System Radio, here's Melanie Cole. The Diabetes Education and Management Program at UVA Health System offers a complete approach to diabetes care that addresses your whole body, with special clinics focusing on how diabetes can affect your heart and weight. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Kirby. She's board-certified physician in both general internal medicine and endocrinology. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kirby. So tell us about the two different types of diabetes. Generally, we think about diabetes as um, type 1 or type 2. Type 1 diabetes Um, also known as juvenile diabetes, although I will uh, share with you that more than 30% of the patients diagnosed with type 1 diabetes are in our adults, are patients who have an autoimmune disorder that causes a loss of insulin production from the pancreas. So these patients are considered insulin dependent. The more predominant or prevalent uh, diabetes is type 2 diabetes. This is the one that we think about as being adult onset Uh, and related to uh, weight is uh, type 2 diabetes, which is more insulin resistance, that the insulin that we are making isn't doing the good uh, good job at at, um, keeping our blood sugars normal. So just for the listeners, insulin resistance. So the blood is, the pancreas is making insulin, but the cells of our muscles and such are just resistant to the actions of that. They just won't let them in the door, right? Absolutely. And the way I think about it is a key and a lock. And so if you are uh, have type 2 diabetes, you've got the key, but there's gum stuck in the lock. And so it's difficult for that insulin to do its job and to get the, the glucose to go into the cell. So we used to call type 2 diabetes adult onset, but now we're even seeing children coming up with this type of diabetes as a result of the obesity epidemic. Tell us about some of the risk factors that might affect children and or adults that would predispose them to diabetes? Um, That's a great question. So right now we know that there's about 86 million Americans who are um, in the pre-diabetes category, meaning they're at risk for developing diabetes. And that's a lot of people, about nine out of the 10 people who have pre-diabetes don't know about it. So risks include uh, higher weight. So those patients who have um, excess weight, um, patients who are sedentary, Patients who have a family member, a brother or sister, mother or father who have type 2 diabetes are at increased risk. So those are all clues that um, patients may uh, need to be clued into that they may be at risk for diabetes. And you mentioned the term pre-diabetes. How would somebody know? Is this something that's going to show up on their annual physical or would they, would they feel something? Would they notice anything that would really send them to the doctor in the first place? So where pre-diabetes, um, they may not actually have any signs or symptoms. And so um, it is something that we probably as, as healthcare providers need to be screening patients for um, or for patients who feel that they're high risk to ask about it. It could show up in um, blood work. So if they have an abnormal fasting blood sugar, meaning if they haven't eaten anything but their blood sugar is slightly um, high, um, that can be a sign. There's also other tests, things like a hemoglobin A1C, which is a test of um, how um, your average blood sugar is over three months. We use that test for our patients with diabetes, but it can also help diagnose prediabetes. And because it's not necessarily insulin dependent when you're talking about type 2, what is the first thing you tell patients that are told that they either have prediabetes or full-blown diabetes that they have to do that's so important that they start doing to manage this condition or possibly eliminate it altogether? So one of the, the 
the best pieces of news that I can give patients is that diabetes and prediabetes are extraordinarily responsive to weight, meaning that for patients who lose even a small amount of weight, 3 to 5% of their weight, that that can make a big difference on their risk of developing diabetes or on their absolute diabetes control. There's a study called the Diabetes Prevention Trial that showed that 7% weight loss um, prevented about 50% of patients from going from prediabetes to diabetes in five years. And, and, and that's um, a doable amount of weight loss for a lot of people. And what about other lifestyle modifications that they can make, even if they're small ones, that could make a big difference in this diabetes diagnosis? Absolutely. Part of the the weight loss is being driven by changing how you eat and being more active. So just increasing your activity level can help. Um, And and getting uh, help on eating healthy. There's a lot of confusing information out there about what we're supposed to be eating. Um, What I usually tell people is you can never go wrong with lots of vegetables, lean, healthy proteins, um, and making sure that you're getting up and you're moving every single day. Uh, the American Diabetes Association recommends 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise every week. That means that you're doing about five days of 30 minutes where your heart rate is up and you're feeling uh, like you're working hard. Um, the, the good news is that doesn't have to be all at one time. You can break it up. So three 10-minute walks during the day can be just as powerful. And when does it require some kind of medicational intervention? So uh, we usually start with our lifestyle interventions first, encouraging patients to change what they're eating, to be more active, to try to lose weight. Um, But type 2 diabetes is a progressive disease, um, and if those interventions are not successful, then we would start thinking about medications. Our first-line medication for many patients is a drug that's been around for a long time called metformin. Um, And it's a very good drug because it works well um, and it prevents the um, problems of diabetes such as the kidney and the eye disease. Um, And it's inexpensive at this point because it's been around for such a long time. So then back to foods for just a second, Dr. Kirby, because people say, oh, well, now I can't eat that. It's got too much sugar. And maybe they're talking about carrots or tomatoes or another type of vegetable, or they're worried about grains, legumes, because they've been told they're pre-diabetic. Clear up that myth for us about those healthy foods that people sometimes get confused for bad carbs. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I... There's been a myth out there that um, carbohydrates are bad, and the problem is is that not all carbohydrates are alike. There are carbohydrates that are probably ones that people should avoid. All people should avoid, whether you have prediabetes or diabetes. Um, these are your simple sugars, so the refined uh, sugars, so the extra sugars that get put into um, foods. And I will say that there's going to be new labeling out there from uh, in the world that has these um, added sugars are going to be added to the label, so it's going to make it easier for consumers to to get healthier options. But there are complex carbohydrates, so our whole grains, our whole wheat breads, and our our very difficult-to-digest carbohydrates are are more healthy, and they're less likely to make blood sugars go um, high if you have diabetes. And those are important sources of nutrition that we all need to be um, eating. So we talk about these low-carb or no-carb diets. I think um, that that's given carbohydrates a, a bad name when, when really we should just be getting rid of the extra sugars that are in our diet. 
Do you advocate or ask your patients to check their blood sugar on a regular basis? Uh, I do. Uh, if It depends on the, the situation. So it depends on the level of treatment they're getting. If they're using insulin multiple times per day, because sometimes patients with type 2 diabetes will need insulin at some point, those patients often need to be checking their blood sugars more often. If they're patients who are on oral medications like metformin, um, they may not need to be checking their blood sugars quite as often. But I think for patients who check um, at different times, they can start to see the impacts of things like the piece of cake that they had after dinner or the exercise that they did after dinner, and they can start to see the impacts of those choices on their blood sugars. So there can be real value in that as well. So wrap it up for us, Dr. Kirby, in your best advice that you tell patients every single day about lifestyle modification, controlling their diabetes, or possibly preventing it altogether. I think every single time a patient walks into my clinic, and my patients will vouch for this, I'm talking to them about um, how they're eating, how much they're eating, what they're eating, uh, are they getting enough activity, even for my patients who are um, not sedentary, meaning they have an active job, I still encourage them to be exercising on top of that. And the other important piece is sleep. Um, I think it's the third pillar of our healthy lifestyle that we don't focus on, but patients also need to be getting sleep. So I think those three components of your life, if you can be working on those, and we all need to be at all, all times, that's, that's the best advice for all of us. Thank you so much, Dr. Kirby. It's really great information. And for more information on diabetes and the UVA Health System and the programs that they offer, you can go to uvahealth.com. That's uvahealth.com. You're listening to UVA Health Systems Radio. I'm Melanie Cole, and thanks so much for listening.